This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Today, would you take a moment right now, put your hands together, and welcome my friend, Jonathan Pearson. How we doing? Feeling good? Uh, let me just get this out of the way. Um, it has not been 10 years since I've been angry. Maybe a day, a couple hours. I, 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 I'm not very patient. I can go ahead and tell you that. Um, I'm not the one who uh, rides around looking for a parking place, which I think some of you had to do this morning. That's an awesome problem. Uh, I just park as far away as I can and just walk because at least I feel like I'm making progress, right? And I'm just sitting there. I don't, I don't wait for restaurants. Like if they don't have a table when I get there, I, I'm already hangry. And so I'm just going to go somewhere else. Like I, when I get to the restaurant, I, I'm not going to wait on a table. What? what? I already got to wait on the food. Like it, it would, I would rather them go ahead and just cook it and say, we, we cooked this for you before you got here. That way I get it right away. I'm not very patient, um, but I do, I do love your church, and I love uh, Pastor, Pastor Kevin, and just what you guys do here uh, is just absolutely amazing, um, what you do in Albemarle. And my wife and I, we were talking, uh, I guess it was last night, and we were trying to think, we've been coming here for like nine years um, to visit with y'all. Uh, we started coming before they built the TJ Maxx, which is what, like two years old now probably? So it's not that old. But Albemarle has actually grown since we've been coming. How do y'all feel about that? Good. Yeah. You, somebody, somebody's wanting to clap. Good. You can, listen, let, let me just give you permission. During this entire message, if you want to clap, if you want to say amen, preach it, brother. If you want to stand up and clap, y'all feel free. That's, that's what I like, okay? Uh, we're going we're gonna to dive in. This morning, I want to preach a message that um, the title's very simple. It's called Holy, Holy, Holy. I'm going to read kind of the, the turning point verse in all of this, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive in. Isaiah 6.3 says this. It says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Let's pray. God, that is who you are. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are holy. You are set apart. You are marvelous. And God, today, um, I pray that you would just, over the next few minutes, just communicate to us um, how truly holy and glorious you are. Uh, Lord, we don't have any other agenda, uh, but for the next few moments, God, especially to the skeptic, uh, to the person who doesn't feel like you're um, that holy or that mighty right now, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Um, Lord, I have nothing to say, but I pray that you would speak through me. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The holiness of God is hard to explain. It's, it's mesmerizing, it's bright, it's bold, it's big, it's a source of light, it's a source of, of comfort. And without Jesus, the holiness of God cannot be approached. Without a relationship with Jesus, you and I simply on our own cannot in, be in the presence of this holy and magnificent God. It's that big, it's, it's that bold, it's that bright, it's that amazing because holiness cannot be in the presence of, of unholiness. And so on my own right, I have no right to approach this holy, holy God. It literally took 
God in the flesh, his one and only son, stepping off of his throne in heaven onto dusty earth, living a perfect life, dying an unjust death on a cross and raising three days later. It required that so that when I put my trust in that Jesus, then all of a sudden I can boldly approach this holy throne of God. And with a relationship with Jesus, you have the right to talk to this holy God, to boldly approach him as he sits on his throne and to ask him for stuff. You have the right to come to him when you're hurting for comfort. You have the right to doubt him. You have the right to question him. But there is one thing that you cannot do when you get a glimpse of this holy God. You cannot deny his holiness. You can't. He is so other. He is so greater. He is so majestic. And I think for a lot of us, especially in the modern church culture, I think we've lost some of our, our reverence for the holiness of God. We've kind of sacrificed some of that for the love and the grace of God, which is, which is absolutely true. God is 100% loving. He is 100% gracious. He accepts you. He welcomes you. He comforts you. You can rest in him. But y'all, God isn't just love and grace, but he is also holy and he deserves reverence and awe and fear. That is our God so much bigger than just your love puppy that you go to when you're hurting. He is holy. He's not just good, but he is great. He's not just loving, but he has the power to do something about your circumstances. That is our God, and all of creation seeks to explain his holiness. Have you ever been at the beach? Maybe you got up early, went and watched the sunrise. Maybe you were woken up early. Maybe you have an annoying kid that woke you up early. You wouldn't call him annoying because that doesn't seem spiritual, but he's annoying. And he woke you up early and you had no choice. But when you watched the sunrise over the horizon, there was something in you that, that was breathtaking. Or have you ever been maybe in a, a mountain cabin and sat on the porch with, with, your, with your coffee and watched the sun as it, as it peaked up over the mountains? And there's something inside of you that just that just knows that this is, this is different. Or even riding down the road through the country, seeing a field of wildflowers or a field of sunflowers just at, at twilight, and there's just something inside of you that knows that that was painted, that that was done by a holy and glorious God. All of creation literally seeks to explain the holiness and the splendor of God. In fact, the holiness of God is a theme throughout the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible is seeking to explain how truly holy, majestic, and glorious our God is. In fact, the word holiness is mentioned 637 times throughout Scripture. 637 times the Bible is trying to get us, is trying to get you, is trying to get me to see something, that there is no one like our God. In fact, Exodus 15, 11 says, who is like you? Who is like you? Nothing compares with you. Majestic in holiness. Awesome in glorious deeds. Doing wonders. There is no one as perfect, as pure, as priceless, as bright, as patient, as powerful as our God. So my goal today is really simple. I just hope and I pray that with Holy Spirit's help, that we can get a glimpse of how truly holy God is. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 6, in fact, 
Um, Isaiah is an Old Testament book. The Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament's older and the New Testament's newer. I have a degree. I learned you something. Isaiah is in the, in the Old Testament. It's known as a prophetic book. And basically what that means is it's, it's written by a prophet. A prophet's uh, job in the Old Testament was to speak, to receive a word from God and to speak it to the people. And so sometimes they would, they would relay what God was saying. Sometimes they would relay the future of what God was doing among the people. And so Isaiah is, is a prophet. Isaiah's name literally means Yahweh saves, which is really interesting because if you continue to read the book of Isaiah past chapter six, you'll see that he actually prophesies, he predicts the coming of Jesus. Some pretty specific things, 700 years before Jesus shows up on the earth, he predicts that all, it's all gonna happen. A huge part of, of the prophecy of Jesus and how we know that the Old Testament is, 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 is accurate and right because of the predictions that Isaiah lays out in his book. The theme of Isaiah really is just how great God is. And so Isaiah in chapter six begins explaining his call as a prophet, which is also interesting because, I mean, it would make sense if a guy's writing a book that he would explain his call in chapter one, which is what most of the prophets do. But Isaiah, for some reason, wakes six chapters to begin to describe how he is called to be a prophet. And this is what it says in Isaiah six, starting in verse one, it says, in the year King Uzziah died. Now, I know what you're thinking, or maybe you're not, but why are you stopping to talk about King Uzziah when we're talking about the holiness of God? Because I think there's something important here. You see, King Uzziah was the king of Judah. He took the throne at 16 years of age. Some of you have 16 year olds, right? And you're thinking if they took off the throne of anything, it better be the toilet, right? Because they have no chance anywhere else. But he, that was a good one. I didn't say that first service. That was, but he took the throne at 16 years old. He reigned for 52 years and he was a good king. King Uzziah was known as a great planner, a great leader, and, and a great king all, over, all around. In fact, scripture says that, that he did right in the sight of God. So King Uzziah is, is a good king and he has just died. And as you can imagine, King Uzziah has kind of been the stabilizing force for the people. And so when he dies, it leads to some crazy things happening. Uh, the, 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 the nation gets chaotic. It gets confusing. It begins to decline spiritually and morally. In fact, Isaiah is being called to be a prophet at a time when people are asking a lot of questions, himself included. They're asking questions like, where do we go from here? What do we do? What's going to happen? Where's, where, where's this thing going to go? Who, who, who are we going to look to for leadership? And the answer for Isaiah and the people of this day was, even though their king, Uzziah, had died, God was still on his throne. And the reason why I bring that up is because I believe, because you're human, that some of you are asking some questions. Because you are wondering, has God lost control of this thing? Like, my grocery bill continues to climb, and I already didn't have enough money for groceries. Is, is, what is going to happen? Some of you, due to recent events over the last year, you are wondering, is it even safe to send my kids to school anymore? You're wondering what in the world is gonna happen? Have people lost their minds? Does anybody live by any truth anymore? Our world is declining spiritually and morally. And I came here from Greenville, South Carolina to remind somebody today that even when everything feels unstable, you have a God who is always able. He is still seated on his throne, regardless of how you feel, regardless of how things to be, seem to be spinning out of control. He still sits 
planted firmly on his throne. He is not up for re-election. He is not about to fall off, but he is still seated in the heavenly realms and he has his eye on you. No matter how you feel, no matter how out of control you feel, no matter what that child that you tried to raise with good morals is, is doing right now and you are fearing for their life, no matter what your bank account looks like, no matter what diagnosis you got, no matter what diagnosis they got, he is still on his throne, and even though the outlook may be bleak, the uplook is always good because he is always seated, planted firmly on his throne. Never, ever does it change. Verse 1 continues as Isaiah sees God on the throne. It says, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, most of us, I would hope, in this room know what the throne represents, right? It's, it's meant for a king. It's not hard for us to wrap our minds around that. But what I feel like most of us are going to miss is, is the importance of this robe that God, that Isaiah is seeing on God. You see, kings of this day, people with power would wear these large robes. And essentially what it signified was, I am a person of prestige. I, I, I'm a person who's, who's powerful. In fact, the bigger the robe, the more prestige, the more power that they would have. Because, I mean, let's face it, if you've got this big robe on, you can't really do a whole lot, right? It's kind of like a bridezilla on her wedding day with eight people carrying the train, the train of the, the gown. You know what I'm talking about? Do y'all know one of those people? Don't, 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 don't look at them. Don't say it out loud. But it's, it's, it's kind of like that. The, the gown, the, the robe was so big that it was like they couldn't do anything. And so Isaiah sees this king. He's, he's seated on a throne and he doesn't just have a big robe on. No, he goes into depth as he gets this, this prophetic vision from God. He goes in depth and talks about that the robe is literally filling the temple. That is how holy this king that's seated on this throne is, that literally the robe doesn't just spill over the arms of the throne. No, it fills the entire temple. That is the king. So God is on his throne, robe filling the temple. And in verse two, Isaiah writes, above him, were seraphim. Seraphim means burning ones. Each had six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. So I want you to get a picture in your head of, of an angel. Just get a mental image, whatever mental image you have. It's probably wrong, but so is mine. It's probably a, a baby in a diaper with something. Let's, let's think bigger than that, okay? Let's, let's think bigger than, bigger than a, a baby with a gown on, okay? It's bigger, like big, big, big warring angel. Okay, you got it in your head? He's probably, probably bright. Maybe he has a glow around him. Maybe they're carrying a sword or maybe they have long hair. Maybe they even have the classic halo over them. It, whatever image you have of an angel is probably, it's probably pretty majestic, right? It's probably pretty almost, almost holy in its own right. But these seraphim, they're, they're like that. They're almost holy in their own right. They, they're majestic in their own right. But what Isaiah sees is he sees these heavenly beings and they are so enthralled with this one that sits on their throne that they have six wings, two literally just to cover their eyes because as big and as majestic as they are to look at this holy God without covered eyes, they just can't do it because he's, he's that bright. He's that amazing. They have two wings that 
cover their feet. Now, the feet in this time period would have been considered almost like a, like a dirty body part. And so these angels literally have two wings just to cover their feet because nothing dirty, nothing unclean can be in the presence of this holy God. And then they have two more wings that they use to, to fly with. And these seraphim, these burning ones, as big as they are, as amazing as they are in their own right, they are bowing down in perfect and humble worship to this king who is seated on his throne. Now, as interesting as the angels are, that's not the point of these verses and that's not the point of my message. The message is more about what the angels are, are saying, about what they're proclaiming. Verse three is the verse I read just a few moments ago. It says this. It says, and these angels were, were calling to one another. I almost get the picture of, have you ever seen something really cool and you feel like your friend beside you didn't see it? And so you're kind of like, it says they were, they were calling to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they're so enamored by it. Verse four says, at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. The word holiness means apartness. It's a word that's used to describe anything that, that stands alone, that stands ap apart from every other thing that is, is around it. And that's who God is. He's holy. He's, he's set apart. He's set apart from his, from his creation. He's set apart from everything that exists. In fact, if, if tomorrow, if the mountains crumbled and just made dust on the ground, if the ocean suddenly stopped rolling and just dried up, if the birds in the sky literally just fell out of the sky, if you and I, if we just disappeared into an, an abyss, if all of that happened, God would still be because he depends on nothing for his existence. He is that set apart. He depends on nothing. He doesn't depend on his creation. He doesn't, de doesn't depend on you. He doesn't depend on me. God is enough by himself. And I want to tell you today that God is enough for you too. That no matter what you're feeling, no matter what you're going through, no matter what kind of questions you're asking, God is enough. Anything plus God equals enough. Math equation, anything plus God equals enough. I know they may have left you. I know that some of you feel like everybody has abandoned you. You've always felt rejected. You've always felt pushed aside. You've always felt overlooked. I pray that today you'll hear me say that God is enough. You feel like everybody's abandoned you. You feel like you can't make anybody happy anymore. You feel like they look at you and you trusted them, but now they look at you and, and, and they have completely left your life. I want you to hear me say this morning that God is enough. He's enough for you. And if you don't have anything else, you always have the holy God seated on his throne. He is that set apart that he is all you need. When he is all you got, you'll come to realize that he's all you need. He is enough. He is holy. He is set apart. So these angels... 
standing around this throne and they proclaim, holy, holy, holy. Now they say it three times and it's not because they forgot the first two or nobody heard the first two. No, you see in, th in this culture, when you wanted to emphasize something, you would repeat it. So like today, if we're typing something and we wanna emphasize it, we can, we can bold it, right? We can underline it. We can highlight it. We can all cap it, which the PSA, if you are all capping all of your Facebook posts and text messages, we all think you're yelling at us all the time. Okay, I just, sorry, soapbox. But if we wanna emphasize something, we have a way of doing that, right? Well, now in this culture, this was like a couple of years before Microsoft Word, they, y'all didn't get that joke, did you? That would have been like, okay. It's okay, I'll try again later. Maybe I need to tell you when the jokes are coming so you can laugh, but. But in, in this culture, they, they didn't have, they didn't have that, that privilege. And so what they would do is when they wanted to emphasize something, they would repeat it. We actually see Jesus doing this in the New Testament. So anytime something's repeated in your Bible back to back, you, you know it's, it's important. It needs to be emphasized. And so effectively what these angels is, they're, gathering, they're gathered around the throne of God. And essentially what they're saying is they're not just saying, God, you're holy. They're not just saying, King, you're holy. No, they are saying, God, you are holy. You are perfectly, completely holy. They want to get the point across to Isaiah and Isaiah wants to get the point across to us that God is completely set apart and this king seated on the throne, robe filling the temple is completely, totally holy. So they repeat it three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty because he's that set apart. There's nothing like our God. There's nothing that can be compared to this holy, holy, holy God. Now, holy is actually the only attribute of God that's mentioned three times in a row in scripture. Now, would you have thought that? I would have thought maybe mercy, 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 grace, grace, grace. Love, love, love would have made sense. But instead, the only attribute of God repeated three times in scripture back to back to back is holy, holy, holy. They're saying your holiness is perfect. Now, th that is the only direct mention of these seraphim in scripture, but a lot of scholars believe that we see these seraphim again in the book of Revelation. Look at Revelation 4, verse 6 says, also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. And the third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Y'all have a mental image there, don't you? Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. And here's why I read that to you. Because from the book of Isaiah to the last book of the Bible in Revelation, these majestic beings in their own right are still not over the holiness of God. It's still literally all they can say is holy, holy, holy. They've got nothing else because that explains this king perfectly. Holy, 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 set apart completely, completely 
enough. And they continue to surround that throne saying, holy, holy, holy. So what's our response? What should be our response to this holy God? I think our response should be a lot like Isaiah's. Look at verse five. It says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God, or the Lord Almighty. Our response should be a response of repentance. I know we don't like that word, do we? Uh, You're about to talk about sin. Well, when you see the holy God that sets, that sets himself apart and is totally other than anything else. There's something in you that all of a sudden makes you realize that you're not all that. So our first response, like Isaiah, he says, he says I am a man of unclean lips. The first thing he does when he, after he explains this, this holiness of God is he says, I've, I've got issues. I've got, because he is so holy, all of a sudden now I realize how truly dirty I am. He says, I am a man of unclean lips and unclean lips come from an unclean heart, right? The stuff that you do that you hate that you do or that you keep running back to or the stuff that you don't tell anybody that you do or the thoughts that you have that you don't tell anybody that you have, that comes from a, a place of, in the heart. And so when you realize how holy and how perfect God is, there should be something inside of you that says, I'm undone, I, 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 I'm, I'm dirty, I, I repent. Repent just means to go the other direction. And undone in the presence of God is not a bad place to be. Undone is the place where I can realize my sin. I can realize the parts of my heart that aren't right. And then I can go to this holy God with him. You see, the holiness of God is, is, is not a rejection from his presence. No, the holiness of God is an invitation to join him there. So the holiness of God should, 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 should make us stand back in, in repentance, but it should also make us seek him and to boldly approach this th- his throne through Jesus so that we can begin to work on the things that are going inside of, on inside of us. He continues in verse six, it says, then... One of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. God offers forgiveness. See, undone isn't a bad place to be because forgiven is what comes next. That's why you shouldn't see the holiness of God, see you're on junk and, and run the other direction. No, you run towards the throne and you receive forgiveness. You see, the seraphim, which remembers means burning ones, they took a coal and they touched it to Isaiah's lips. It purified him. It would, it, would, it would represent what Jesus would do some 700 years later in forgiveness. But if Isaiah is a prophet, what would he need later in his ministry? He would need his mouth, right? And so the very thing that Isaiah realized is wrong with me, my lips, is the very thing they purified so it could be the very thing that he would use to honor God in the future. And some of you need to hear that because you think that your mess or your mistakes of the past disqualify disqualify you. No, your mess can become your ministry if you'll surrender it to God. So let's say that that you you were an alcoholic. Don't, Don't deny that fact. Let's celebrate the fact that you're not anymore and then you help somebody else. Your mess can become your ministry. Let's say that you went through the cancer treatments 
and you came out on the other side. Now, what felt like a mess at the time can become your ministry because God has the ability. He's so holy. He's so perfect. He has the ability to take that thing that you didn't like, that you didn't ask for, that you would have never wanted, and use it to help other people. It's just what he does. So the angels purify his lips, and it helps him with the calling that God has put on his life. There's another response, a response of repentance. And then verse eight says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. It's a response of trust. When you realize the holiness and the otherness and the apartness of God, you realize that you can trust him. You realize that you can trust him with the good things in your life, the things that you feel like are good. You realize that you can trust him with the bad things in your life, the things that you would want to go away. You realize you can trust him with your doubt. You realize you can trust him with your mistakes. You can trust him with your concerns. You can trust him with your worries. You can trust him with your confusion. You can trust him with the chaos. You can trust him with your questions. You can trust him with the sickness. You can trust him with the finances. You can trust him with the good. You can trust him with the bad. You can trust this holy God. And so Isaiah is saying, I trust you. He says, yes. Isaiah tells God, the answer is yes. God says, who will I send? He says, it's me. The answer is yes, God, whatever you want. I see your holiness. Whatever you ask me to do, the answer is yes. Do you want me to go? Yes. Do you want me to stay? Yes. Do you want me to apologize? Yes. Do you want me to give? Yes. Do you want me to love? Yes. Do you want me to go there? Yes, God, I see your holiness. And my answer is yes. And so Isaiah essentially gives God a blank check and says, I don't care what you ask because you are so great. I'll do it. The answer is yes. When you get a glimpse of the goodness and the holiness of God, suddenly it makes those yeses not seem like such a big deal. Before God ever tells Isaiah where he's gonna take him, he says, I'll go. Some of us this morning, you've been waiting on God to tell you where you're going before you tell him yes. He's waiting on you to tell him yes before he tells you where you're going. And you've wondered, God, what are, you, what are you asking me to do? God, I'm confused. God, would you just speak? And what he wants you to say is he wants you to say yes. Now, where are we going? It's the way God works. So Isaiah says, yes, I trust you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you a response to our chance to respond to Jesus this morning because he is the way to approach this holy, set-apart God. He would come to earth. He would live a perfect, sinless life. He would die on a cross. He would raise three days later. And the Bible says that if you put your trust in him, if you confess him as the Lord, as the boss of your life, that he will come into your life and he will save you, that it won't matter what you did anymore because you are okay, because you receive what he did, and that is perfection. So if you need to pray to receive Christ this morning, this isn't a magical prayer, it's just a confession. You can pray this to yourself, you can pray it out loud, we don't care. But just say, Jesus, I confess I've missed the mark. I confess I'm a person of unclean lips because I have unclean heart. 
So I ask you to come into my life. I believe you are who you say you are. I give my life over to you. It's no longer my own. I'm going to follow you the best I can. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Don't fall asleep on me, okay? You hear me? Don't fall asleep on me. No, I'm just kidding. There's one more response we should have. It's a response of worship. So I want to go back and I want to try to paint this picture for you. And the reason why I ask you to close your eyes is because I hope you get a mental image of what Isaiah, of what Isaiah has just seen. Picture the, the glorious temple. The place that literally symbolized and housed the very presence of Almighty God. It's an architectural phenomenon. The walls would have been lined with gold. And inside that temple was a place reserved for only the most holy things. There was only one that deserved to be in there. It was the Holy of Holies. And that one in there is God. He's seated on his throne. His robe is spilling over the, the arms. It wraps back around the throne. And before you know it, you realize that it's filled the entire room and it's literally spilling out of the doors of the room. Everything around you, everyone around you, has its eyes fixed on this holy king. You see the seraphim, the angels on your left and your right. And as impressive looking as they are, they don't even notice you because their attention is locked on this king. It's not just any king, but it's the king of kings. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's completely holy. And then you notice that the angels bow down and everyone in the room begins to declaring holy, 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 holy is the king of all kings who sits on this throne. God, thank you so much that your holiness makes you trustworthy. God, I do pray for the people this morning. I just feel it in my spirit that are, that are wondering if you've left, if you're powerful enough, if you're big enough. God, I just pray that they would get a glimpse of your holiness. God, I thank you for an amazing church for the amazing honor of teaching your word. Holy Spirit, would you just uh, divide it, let it, each person receive and get what they need. Thank you that you are the King of Kings, holy, majestic, and seated on your throne. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.